1: We made this. The idea of ending their existence consumes me.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Observing the Pattern. This is your Fringe podcast on the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Luke Winch, and today we're going to be taking another break from our Season 3 coverage to bring you another special guest. Um, He has composed music for some very well-known video games such as SimCity and Black. He has also scored for television with the likes of Zoo and, of course, Fringe. It is, of course, Chris Tilton. Welcome to the podcast.
3: Hello, Luke. Thank you
2: how are you how's i mean how's the past year been for you because the impact of the pandemic on arts and entertainment has been has been quite it's been quite harsh how have you kept yourself motivated and busy
3: i have stayed busy you know i i know i don't i know people don't want to hear another well i work at home anyways so it wasn't a huge change for me work-wise uh you know other than recording remotely when that when the time and stuff came but uh I ha- you know, I've been doing stuff just on my own and also just projects I've had to do over the last year as well. So I have I have been able to stay busy, but uh, I'm getting my second shot next week. So looking forward to finally seeing some people in the near future.
2: Excellent. I guess you've been working remotely quite a lot then.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I have a home studio, so I, I work at home anyway. Just the remote stuff came in when it came time to actually record musicians and things like that. So
2: cool. So, um, I mean, has music always been something that you wanted to pursue? I mean, where did it all begin? Was it, was it a, a kind of smooth past, a, a smooth path for you, or was it a more kind of convoluted one that, that kind of got you into composing?
3: Uh, I think it was, it just kind of was a series of little logical steps. Like there was a piano in my parents' house. I started, banging on it. And one day they said, Hey, would you like lessons? Sure. I started to take lessons. Uh, And, you know, I I took lessons for, I think I started around when I was eight years old, was when I started lessons and my interest, you know, went up and down through the years as one does, but I I mostly stuck with it. And then eventually uh, my cousin was playing something on the piano that she had written uh, one time I was like, Oh, I should just try, start writing music. You know, I was already into film scores and soundtracks at that point and stuff. So I started trying to write stuff and I enjoyed it. And so then I got even more into film scores and, and things like that. And then I did, I was, uh, 15. So I was in high school when I started writing. And I think at that, certainly after the first year of writing music, I was sure that's kind of what I wanted to do. So. Just been doing that ever since. Cool. And I mean, did you have
2: any like musical inspirations growing up? You said you were into into film soundtracks. Was there any particular the composers that really had a kind of significant impact on you when you were younger?
3: the The first soundtrack uh, that I that I got and listened to over and over was Danny Elfman's score to Batman in 1989. Mm. I think. And then soon after, I got obsessed with Terminator Two. And you know, I was also obsessed with the movie, so it kind of came with it. So the two very different scores for sure. You know, Ro- Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves was an early soundtrack CD I I, I got. I actually didn't get into Star Wars until until uh, until I was in like high early high school. So I like never watched. It. it was always that that thing that I've seen bits and pieces of on TV over the years, but never watched. And once I sat down and watched it, I was like, okay, yeah, I see why everybody likes this. This is really cool. And then, uh, and then immediately got into John Williams and, you know, went down that path. E- each time I would discover a composer like Danny Elfman, I would immediately say, okay, well, what else have they done? And then you immediately dig into their back catalog and also looking forward to each thing that they do going forward. So, you know, Danny Elfman, James Horner, John Williams, uh, and eventually, Elliot Goldenthal were composers that I listened to listen to a lot as far as you know film soundtracks go.
2: And I mean, when, when you eventually got into scoring yourself, did video games come first, or, or did TV work come first?
3: Uh, I mean, it was all kind of simultaneous because I I'd, I'd been playing video games ever since the original Nintendo, and for a while it just the idea of writing music for video games was not seem less likely than film and stuff. So, you know, I primarily, but, but, but by the time I was in college and came out to LA, you know, scoring for video games uh, for, for, as an American composer, what's much more a thing. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I pursued both and and I contacted Michael Chiquino because he did the medal of honor soundtracks and, and that's how I, when i moved out to la i started working for him uh and that's how all of this even came about <laughs> you know he's the only the reason i had fringe to begin with so and and he was also still doing video games and then i got into them so i it, it, it was both simultaneously they're kind of separate worlds but i was doing both and i and i like doing both
2: yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, how uh, your your mindset and process must be very different when you're dealing with a, a scoring for a video game and scoring for a, a TV. What 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 are the kind of differences that you have to kind of approach with?
3: Um, I mean, I guess when it comes to the a, a overall story, if if you are doing a narrative focused game or or or, or, or 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 anything like that, you know that that is kind of similar. But certainly, the kinds of pieces of music you're writing. Uh, will vary a lot you know uh, when you're in in television the structure is all there for you the scene is what what it is it it either feels like it needs music here to there and and it needs to do a b and c uh, and then that's it but in a video game it's like you you're more often than not writing pieces of music that basically fit a, a kind of vibe depending on what the player's doing And oftentimes that music will change depending on, you know, there's all systems that you have to write for little bits and pieces you need to write to create transitions, Uh, you know, making sure a piece is loopable and all that stuff. So there's a lot of technical stuff that you need to do, know how to do in games. And I think writing good, good video game music loops, like knowing what it's going to be used for and how the player is going to experience it, I think is also important because you don't want to write Uh, something like that, that tune is great, but they're actually going to hear it many, many, many times. So maybe you shouldn't do that here. You know, that those kinds of situations can only occur if you are kind of aware of how games work and all that stuff. So it's, it's different a lot in that way, but certainly like the uh, overall approach to like, why am I writing this music and what this theme is for? You know, those, those are similar to writing for a show or a game.
2: Yeah. Yeah and you mentioned michael giacchino that that you composed some video games with how did i mean how did the fringe project come about cuz am i right in saying that michael giacchino composed the music for the pilot of fringe uh, were you his assistant at the time is that right
3: um i think after alias ended uh in 2006 so Uh, You know, it was I I still did work for him, but it was time for me to no longer be, you you know, at that time I was I could do other projects, but I was working for him, you know, Hmm. first and foremost. And at that point, when Alias ended, it was kind of like, okay, it's time for me to really start pursuing my own stuff and things like that. Um, but when Fringe came along, it was like it, the, the show had started and there were a lot of things about it they were still figuring out and the music wasn't working. Um, So they asked me to – so Michael just asked me, hey, would you want to just write some ideas for this just to see? And I wrote some ideas and they liked those. So then we just kind of moved forward from there. And this was – this happened like pretty much over like the Christmas break of the first season. So wow. Uh, they sort of showed me episode 10 and with no music and said, right for some of these scenes, it's just some ideas. And then I did that. And then I, we act, I actually started properly on episode 11, which aired in the new year, uh,
2: 2009. So cool. So you started like on your own from, from episode 11 then onwards.
3: Um, Chad Sider, the other composer, he, he did do like uh, cues here and there, but, i was mostly taking the lead on it and then season two and beyond it was just me uh that's just what made sense to do Mm.
2: and when you when you started writing the music for fringe did you have like a certain sound design in like tone and mood in mind i mean it i understand it kind of probably change episode to episode but was there like a general sound design that you had in mind that you wanted to kind of employ through the series
3: uh it was uh, the answer to that would be yes but it it was more just a more immediate reaction to just watching the show like the, the the thing with the show is it was primarily just sort of kind of general orchestral at that point and it didn't feel like that was the right tone for it because it was like this is a really weird show and a lot of weird stuff is happening hmm. and a lot of uh like like sometimes grotesque things like horrory things and just like uh, the big orchestral thing is like i understand why that was not necessarily working and interestingly enough we did bring orchestral elements back but i think uh, as a sort of complement to the sound that i established and i just sort of looked at it and just said, it should just like, what if, what about a cello doing weird stuff? Or what about some weird sound designy things? What about some percussion? You know, I just sort of was trying things. <laughs> and that's the, that it, it just seemed that just, I was just going on instinct at the time, which is a lot of times what you're doing for a lot of this stuff. And then just seeing what they thought and they liked it. And like, there you go. And then it just sort of evolved from there.
2: Yeah, that's great it sounds quite experimental what you were doing then you were just kind of trying new things out here and there and and making it kind of more electronic-y sounding mixing with the with the kind of orchestral elements to it
3: yeah I mean the yes the, and the, there was definitely like calls for there the show needs energy you know yeah. it's, it's, I'm getting bored I need some energy you know like <laughs> you know and, and, and a lot of time like in, in TV shows you're just sort of and this is true for most tv it's like your your schedule is so shortened that you're just you're trying to uh make the best thing you can with the time and resources you have and when you get to the end sometimes there are just things that don't work as well and a lot of times like well music can make can fix some of these things or help some of these things or clarify this and that and uh, so there was a lot of that happening early on and you know um and, and figuring out what is what is the real pacing of the show what's what's exciting you know what's exciting about it. And it takes a while to find that because you, your characters aren't fully developed yet, but then I think once, once the writers and the actors and everybody gets to know the story, then they can, and they can start to go interesting places. And then, and then I think that's when like the orchestra started to come in where things started to get more complicated, uh, bigger, more epic, uh, just (laughs) broader, grander stories. It's like, it needed that. And it needed the versatility uh, that like, uh, live musicians can just a bunch of live musicians as a group can bring to a sound. Mm.
2: And I I mean I really love the use of the electronic uh, mixed and complementing with the, with the orchestral stuff. It's I mean it's why I I really enjoy the soundtrack is, is I mean is is that kind of a marriage that you particularly really like working with? That kind of mix of those sounds kind of coming together?
3: I think I discovered that I do like doing that on fringe. Uh you I'm I'm sure I, I, I must have experimented a little bit here and there, but, but yeah, I don't know. It was just, just felt like I should just try something different. And then, and then I enjoyed sort of exploring, exploring that over the course of the entire series. And, uh, and that's, that's always a really nice thing. You don't know, you know, most, most TV shows do not last long and you don't get the time to really explore. So. It was, it's, it was nice to be able to do that, but yeah, it, it, a lot, a lot of, a lot of what you're hearing was just me figuring stuff out and figuring, figuring out what I liked myself as well as of course, trying to serve the show itself. Mm.
2: And like, as, as, as you kind of got more used to it and the more you felt at home with the series, did you like start? thinking about motifs and themes for particular characters because when I kind of listen to the albums on their own I I, I hear repeating motifs every now and then uh, particularly with Peter and Olivia was this something that you you kind of had in mind later on or is it something that kind of came naturally um, as the series I mean particularly season 3 which focuses on Olivia and Peter quite a lot was that kind of a, a natural process for you?
3: Uh, um, It is in general I think I think it's, it's, uh, otherwise where I would have made more themes for in season one, like theme character themes and more themes and stuff started kind of season two onward. Hmm. Uh, and that, that was something we actually talked about, but, uh, you know, a lot of times I was just trying to just whew, get make sure it was done. And so <laughs> uh, like, especially since the, the, the relationships didn't really start, in earnest until season two anyway. So like, usually I will bring a theme in when like something is like, there's an actual arc with a character that we can, that we're supposed to, you know, uh, be a part of or feel and stuff. And so when it's just, when it's such a little tiny bit at a time, you know, there's just a lot of tiny thing here, but Themes, themes uh, were something we talked about for season two. Uh, he said like, Hey, we should, we should have an Olivia theme. And I was like, I agree. Sounds good. So uh, just started making character themes uh, whenever it was relevant, whenever it felt like they, they needed one, you know, like Broyles didn't really have much of a theme at first, but then when his character started to have more actual storylines that were more about him, then it's like, okay, now there's, there's room to have a theme for him. Mm. So, um, you know, it, in that way it certainly evolved naturally but the directive certainly when we were getting started on season two was let's have themes for people there were a few themes in season one but uh, very very brief ones and uh uh, the the main one would be which started out as the zft theme but sort of became the war between universes theme
2: and what was your kind of thought process behind the Olivia theme and the instruments that you wanted to use. It's, it, I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a mournful theme, isn't it?
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, she's, she's sort of lonely, isolates herself, shuts herself off and keeps everything internal. So I, I just kind of kept those feelings in mind when, when making her theme, I, I kind of wrote it on the piano actually in between season one and two, just kind of putting it in a place where I felt like she was at and, and just sort of went from there. Uh, and, and certainly back then before we, even though we did use more or- orchestra in the season finale, we weren't necessarily going to get that for season two. Uh, I, I probably would have liked to, but the, the, the budget wasn't either wasn't there. or wasn't known <laughs> to be <Yeah>. there <laughs> at the time. Um, and so, you know, the, the piano was a, a, a very, important instrument uh for the sound because it was just one of the few instruments that could create uh all sorts of different feelings and tones and melodies and chords and things so it was used it was used more frequently i think
0: mm-hmm. in those
3: earlier seasons and therefore you know i write a lot at the piano anyway so you know Olivia's theme is very piano based and i think sometimes i'll I'll not have someone else on a different, I'll have a different character on a different instrument just because I don't, you know, you want the two instruments to be, to be able to play together and be different.
2: Mm. And the, the, the
3: observers
2: themes are are quite interesting because that, that is, that is a real mix of the, the electronic. And then you've got that mournful cello as well. That was, uh, was that something that you thought about them being kind of technically advanced to put a bit of electronica in there as well?
3: Well, first, I'm 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 wondering what you're referring to because the observers have a bass flute, and maybe are you thinking it is oh, cello-ish?
2: I'm thinking the. Um,
3: or are you thinking of a different theme altogether? Uh,
2: it's observers everywhere. It's from season two, so maybe I'm thinking of.
3: Well, there is a. I mean, the prominent instrument. I mean, there are elect- electronic pads and things in that, but the main instrument in that should be should be the flute. I mean, it's certainly possible that. That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Uh, Back because back then the cello was also one of the other instruments that could play melodies uh, that I most likely played the observer theme on the cello as well. So I probably shouldn't fault you for that. But 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 like I, I saw the observers as as the bass flute and kept that instrument for the observers and particularly September and stuff going forward.
2: That's interesting. I mean, how, how did you kind of associate the the observers with the that instrument?
3: I think my my first thought was just something ancient sounding. Mm. It seems like they've always been there. You know, we didn't really know much about them other than they've always been there. So I just wanted something ancient sounding. And uh, my friend Amy pay, played the bass flute, and I've always liked the bass flute it has a cool sound to it and can. You know, it' like I didn't want something like, you know, exotic, too exotic sounding. I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of putting. Uh, We're in this place in the world, therefore, let's have the cliche instrument that goes with this place. Like, I'm not a huge fan of doing that. Yeah. So, so I like I the bass flute is just a flute with a low range that's an octave lower. So it, you know, it has the versatility of a flute and can do all sorts of complex melodies and whatever normal it can do down there. And so it, it won't, it won't automatically sound like something else because I can write, I can just write whatever I want. Mm. And and what was your
2: kind of thought process for the Peter theme or the Walter Bishop?
3: Uh, Peter's theme actually started in season one. It was very sad. It was just like the first few notes of it. Uh, and it just, I can't I, th- I think it may have been episode 17 the one that starts out at union station and like olivia's dreaming of killing people
2: oh yes
3: Uh, i believe that's the maybe the first episode it appears in because i remember like there was something about peter being able to calm olivia down that they wanted to uh just take very subtle Mm. note to so uh, that's where that theme came from and so i just wrote this very simple do 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 a little thing and that's it uh, and then, and then that sort of evolved into Peter's theme in season two when things became more substantial. And then, then, and then I I frequently like to evolve create other themes out of already existing themes, so they so they sound like they came from a certain place. So, like Walter's love for Peter came out of that theme is like a separate theme that came out of Peter's theme. And there's all sorts of other themes that have probably came out of someone else's (laughs) theme etc depending on depending on the circumstance you know sometimes it needs to be entirely new it can't sound like anything else
2: yeah it kind of makes sense to reuse themes when you're talking about peter and walter together so it makes perfect sense
3: yeah And, and also once you the good thing is like once you do like making the theme is usually you know the harder work but then once you make it bringing it back is like a nice thing it's like oh god i don't have to write like a new theme for this i can bring this one in and play with it a bit and then move on you know it's like when you've got a tv show 24 episodes or 22 sorry uh with a lot of music in each one you know you've got to move fast (laughs) i mean speaking of moving faster
2: i mean in terms of the amount of time that you had to prepare for a episode were you privy to like the narrative or or any plot twists of a particular episode or was it literally a matter of furiously laying down the tracks as the train of the episode rushed headlong towards you
3: uh more more the latter but you know sometimes i was aware of things the the only one i was really aware of was was the world it was the world trade center shot at the end of season one just because that was like something they were working on for early on and i was like oh wow that's exciting um but otherwise i don't really necessarily want to know where it's going because i don't want to I don't want to know something that the, that the characters in the show don't know. And certainly something that the audience shouldn't know either. Um, so, you know, unless it's something that we want to deliberately, like you, I feel like you can make choices to deliberately foreshadow things if you want, even if, even if you're doing something like no one will understand this, but if you, once you see it, then you will like, sometimes that's fun, but also you don't want to, uh, I don't want to like, I don't want to like know too much, you know, I just want to know what I need to know for this episode so that the music feels like it's to this and not, I'm not thinking about where, where something's going to go. Cause that's, that's not helpful to this episode.
2: Mm, no, that's really interesting. I mean, what did you like having mind when you knew that they were going to put the world trade center in there?
3: Um, I'm a, I kind of, I just started, I just thought that sounds really cool, but I just like, you know, I wasn't going to really do anything until I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, cause you know, it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, I saw like, I probably, I saw like a rough animatic or something. I was like, that sounds cool, but I, I don't know what precedes it or anything. Like I didn't know, I didn't know anything about the scene with William Bell, you know, yet. So it's like that, that, that was, you know, it's all, all, all that matters. So, um, but certainly when I saw it, I was like, well, I, I know the, there was only one f- real theme that I was using at that point, the ZFT theme. And I was like, well, that makes sense to use that because this is becoming whatever this show is about is whatever this theme is (laughs) becoming." So, uh, you know, a lot of times it starts out as one thing and then it becomes another thing because the show is just sort of slowly evolving. Yeah.
2: It's certainly probably the most memorable season finale of TV for a lot of people. It is for me.
3: Yeah. And I think the timing is, 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 is all that. Like, I think it's like more effective when, uh like 10 years after the the terrorist attack and like the idea that oh what if a world existed in which that didn't happen or something you know what does that mean and uh now i think you're like the, the 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 general audience for that show would have been people who were born after it happened. So it would have been like, you know, I don't even know what this means. You know, Mm. (laughs) it's a lot of, you know,
2: for a big, a general part of the audience. A certain episode I wanted to talk to you about was Brown Betty. Uh, That must, that must've been a bit of a switch for you in terms of the stylistic way that you did the music. How was, what was your initial thoughts on that? And then the process of scoring that episode?
3: Uh, Well, they told me they were doing this, and I think it was part of just a sort of network-wide push by Fox to just help promote Glee. Be like, hey, everybody do a musical <laughs> episode. So if you go to around this time, I'm betting there were other Fox shows also doing musical-esque stuff. But but the plus side was they paid for like the recording session and a lot of the stuff. So it was like, okay, we'll do it. And they're paying for it. So cool. Um, and so that was actually our first like big recording session for uh in season two it was for that episode. Cause we had not yet had any kind of orchestral session at mm. that point. I'd only been doing all of a, uh, you know, and in, in season two, I'd brought in other soloists, like violin, violin come in and do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, there were other, other things happening, you know, with soloists and stuff that were, that were making the score richer, but uh Yeah, when this came along, it was like they're doing this musical thing. And then we just sort of slowly talked about how it was going to work. Someone else was working on the arrangements of the song. Someone who, you know, does that normally. Uh, and there was a vocal coach training everyone. There were actually several of the actors who were already really good at singing. Um, So uh, my job was basically, you know, they were making a like a, you know, P.I. Detective 40s or whatever film noir, if you want to call it that, um, style thing. And I was like, cool. I like all that stuff. So, uh, will they pay, you know, I just said Fox has to pay for this where there's no way to get this sound just like with samples. Uh, and and of course I didn't want to do that Mm. anyway. And so they're paid for the session and I sort of put together a little band. So, and basically wrote, wrote it like a fringe episode in that style, but you adapted themes when necessary and, and just kind of had fun with it. Um, I, I'm also, a, you know, other, other composers I didn't mention earlier, uh, big, I'm a big fan of Henry Mancini. I love the pink Panther mm. scores. I love Peter Gunn. I love James Bond movies. I love all that, uh, you know, suave sixties style, uh, sort of, I, I don't want to call it jazz, but just sort of jazz influence cinematic jazz. Let's call it that, uh, uh I love all that stuff. So it was it was a really fun episode to do and it was cool to just uh, play with a different sound. Um and I, I and I I was mostly in charge of the score and like the the songs, you know, I didn't I just they were sort of doing them par- in parallel and we talked a few times about a few things, but I don't remember what that would have been about cuz like there wasn't anything I, I, maybe, maybe I did, maybe I did like we recorded the strings or, or or we did something. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe we recorded something else at the session, but I don't remember because they, they also did a separate session for the song stuff. So it was, it was a lot going on because it started while we were also doing other episodes. Cause this was like a much bigger planning process. So talking about it and working it out, you know, Went over the course of several other fringe episodes, so you know it was a confusing time <laughs> for
2: sure. Yeah, I could definitely hear that kind of nineteen sixties kind of James Bond influence in the, in the soundtrack. The uh, the the Brown Betty Suite, which is like I think nine minutes long, is uh, is often on repeat on my film soundtrack mix on on Spotify. Oh, cool! I really enjoy it.
3: How, and what do you think of doing that for the soundtrack like that? Was that the right thing to do? Make it a suite and make it separate from the flow of everything else? Or would you have preferred to just be in the middle of the soundtrack? No, I
2: love it as a suite. I think it's the best thing to do because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's such a unique episode uh, in the world of fringe and you can kind of separate it out, even though it's Walter's fractured mind dealing with stuff, but it's, mm. but it, yeah, but I think it works beautifully as a suite. Definitely. I was going to ask about if you were involved with the actors singing, but you've, yeah, you've already said that you weren't really involved with that.
3: Yeah, they, yeah, they had someone who vocal coached them and came in as a ranger and did all that. Yeah, stuff.
2: I am surprised they didn't um, utilize Michael Severus, who who comes from a musical theater background. It would have been it would have been great to hear him sing on that.
3: Well, he do, he does sing on it, doesn't he? No, no, he, no, he doesn't
2: like sing on it at all.
3: Because I remember people talking about how he could sing. So, uh, so I, I mean, I guess I, I haven't. I confess, I haven't gotten to that episode yet because I've been rewatching Fringe. Uh, which we can talk about at some point, but um, so yeah, I don't remember. I guess uh, I guess I just thought he sang on it then because he was uh, because uh, he was a known singer.
2: Yeah, he he was in the
3: episode as as what
2: they called a watcher, which was a nice play on the observer. But he didn't actually get a song. I think there was talk of it, but they they couldn't fit it in. Uh, with everyone yeah, else maybe,
3: maybe that's what i'm remembering maybe they actually did one and it was like oh we have to cut it
2: yeah <laughs> yeah i think that was the general kind of gist of it um the other shows i was just looking at the other shows that, that were doing this glee promotion was family guy bones and the simpsons and then fringe which is just bizarre
3: <laughs> it is that, that is fringe is a certainly a bizarre standout for for that but you know fringe was always on that line of like will it be a breakout hit or will it, will it detract, you know, it was always on that line of like, not, not a hit, but not like doing too poorly, like just doing well, just enough to like, it may take off and it sort of just sort of hung on there. And I think like, I think fringe was more willing to do stuff to try and bring in more people than maybe otherwise would have, like if it was a hit show, I bet they would have said, no, we're not doing this. (laughs) I guarantee. you. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, do you have any kind of, your own personal thoughts on why you think fringe didn't, I mean, it didn't quite make the hit it wanted or needed to be, and just kind of sat in that kind of cult status.
3: Yeah. I think it just, you know, it's, you can never, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason about it. It's just like, I think if it was made now, uh, or, or or let me tell you this, if, if the Netflix uh, uh, series type stuff, a shortened season type uh, stuff existed. Then fringe would have fit right in and done really well. Mm. I think. Uh, it would have fit right in as a 13 episode, a season focused serialized like sci-fi yeah. show. Um, and, but that, you know, that didn't, that was, that barely existed then. And those, and the, and what did exist the budgets were like tiny, like it could not have supported the, I mean, a fringe budget, which is probably several million dollars an episode um it's like all network tv was the only place to get that budget Mm.
2: so yeah in a way it was probably ahead of its time in terms of concept of
3: of show yeah for sure like not not just not just that but also like doing the 80s episode and stuff like that was before the whole 80s trend or it was like barely getting started at that point Mm. yeah
2: Season 3 then when we got the alternative uh, universe and you know they kept swapping in and out did you did you have in mind to have any different kind of sounds any different kind of music or did you keep it pretty much the same
3: um i want well so i wanted to keep the the energy of that we had at the end of season 2 was when we brought the orchestra back like it was big at Epic when it was, we had it basically for the last two episodes, which were over there, parts one and two. And, you know, they go to the other side and it's this big, big adventure and, and it worked out really well. It's like, um, so I, I brought in like French horns and put that in my studio just to give it sort of a brassy, bigger edge to it and use that, you know, particularly the opening scene, which, but for season one, which also does kind of a callback to, my uh season 1 um did i say season 3 than 1 uh, i'm talking about the season 3 opener <laughs> yeah season 3 <laughs> <laughs> um and but I I just kept trying to ramp it up as much as I could with the resources I had and the and then s- suddenly early on by the fourth episode of season 3 cuz i just kept they kept having like notes about things and i'm like these notes could be easily addressed if i just had an orchestra and could just like do these things dramatically in a good way that, 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 that worked. And, and I, so I pressed them it again. And then someone says, Oh yeah, there is this money here for <laughs> orchestra. I'm like, gotta be kidding me. Uh, so I don't know if it was always there, if it was newly there, I don't know. There was some money earmarked and we finally got a budget to record with a small string s- section. And which was basically violas and cellos. So just low strings and French horns. And that became the additional instruments uh, throughout much of season two. And thank goodness, because I think it really it ramped up like the scale of the show, uh, especially as we were on this sort of epic uh, arc of the uh, of the first uh, eight episodes of season three, where Olivia's trapped on one side and we have fake Olivia pretending to be real Olivia and all that. Uh, there's a, a lot of stuff going on, and so um, I was very happy to to get to get that. And so I think there, there's obviously early on season three, you can hear me trying to sound bigger as best as I can. Um, though, though, the third episode did was kind of a more standalone story, and it had that one where I basically recorded Victor doing cello a whole bunch of times, and we had that sort of little opening piece, which, if you don't recall, is I don't even remember the character's name, but it's all he's like going and just doing these subtle little things to cause like a big Rube Gobor machine of things to happen. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, oh God, what was the character? And that, that piece is on the soundtrack is so, and that's why it's more familiar to me. Um, but yeah, that was the last episode we did where I just had cello and occasional violin. Maybe French horn was in there somewhere. And then season uh, episode four, you might notice an immediate sort of, changed and then the music seems perhaps a bit more grand.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, I, I really noticed it was, it was much more rich sounding, much more rich sounding. And-,
3: and, and not out of nowhere. I mean, it's, it's more in line with the sound of like the yeah. season finales and stuff, which is what I wanted to continue. I was like, this sounds like the sound of the show to me when we had the orchestra and I did the cool cell- weird cello stuff and I did the you know, like, try- like everything was working together and doing, di- doing what they needed to do at their appropriate times. So I was like, this sounds like the sound of the show to me. So I really wanted to get that. And I was glad I could. Cause season
2: three in, I mean, in terms of narrative and story just gets bigger and bigger. I mean, you've got the whole thing with the machine and you've got the alternate universes. So the fact that your music kind of complements that and it, you know, much bigger, richer sound, I think uh, it works so well.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the episode, the the number station episode, which I love number stations. I was so, that was really cool that they did that. Uh, when they're dig- digging up the parts of the machine, it was like, this is pretty much an Indiana Jones episode. So it was like kind of writing that kind of thing, but in a fringe way, I hoped, you know. Uh, and and it needed and it needed those it those players there to really make to really bring that to life.
2: Yeah, definitely. That episode was six nine nine six nine five five kilohertz. Yes, but yeah, that that last scene when they're getting the piece out the ground, that was that was you could really hear the music swelling up. Then it was it was it was a big epic piece of music. I really remember that as well.
3: That's good. See, it all it all was worth it.
2: Yeah, um, you talked about the notes you were getting when you when you were wanting the um, the orchestra. What were the notes saying? What kind of things were they saying in in terms of like music, or was it just kind of the the sound or the pace they wanted?
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Oh no! It would always be like it's, it's always the notes are in general just like we need to hit this more, or I'm not feeling it's not feeling right when when uh, when when the conversation changes here and we're talking about this now, you know? Because a, a lot of the, the the score cues are subtle changes or, or making note of you know of important dialogue if someone brings up something that's important it's it's you know you put a, a space there or you, you you do something that says oh this is important please remember this audience member uh so there's <laughs> a lot of that you know and, and it's a lot of that kind of stuff and i was like i was just like if i had an orchestra i could like i could, I could make this thing feel right and do all of these things easier when i just had like a solo cello in this like every instrument stuck out would could you could run the risk of instruments sticking out too much and then so a lot of it was a you know a lot of pattern based things and it's like and that just didn't do everything it needed to do yeah and and, and i can tell you what when we the next episode when we got the orchestra there were the notes all went away yeah
2: (laughs) i bet that eased your mind a bit a bit more
3: yes like not that there were never notes. It's just like those kinds, these kinds of like little wee- notes just kind of went away and then we can focus on more important stuff. Yeah. Excellent. You mentioned earlier on that you're
2: doing your own rewatch and we briefly talked about it via email. So, I mean, how is it then Chris revisiting the series for, for the first time in ages for you?
3: Um, it's cool revisiting it. It's, it's uh, I oftentimes I'm just like, I certainly the earlier ones, uh, I, I'm i I'm a little bit more cringy at my, level my level of my production skills at that time I was like this is uh, I don't know about this <laughs> sometimes <laughs> um you know it's missing some oomph here some this here this and these an instrument here <laughs> something 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 but you know whatever it's like it's fine uh I, but a, a lot of it is is like i remember a lot of the 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 broad strokes and I actually remember a lot of the series because when you're making it, I, you look at each episode dozens of times. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, a lot of it is ingrained into my head. Sometimes moments that are are nothing, but just for some reason i spent time on and I remember them or whatever. Uh, But, but it's, but then there's other times where I was like, Oh, I totally like, I remembered it once I saw it, but I totally forgot about this episode or this whole aspect of this episode. You know, there were a lot of things like that and it was fun to see, but, um, but I really want to give a shout out to my music editor Paul applegren, uh who uh, does still he's working on movies for Michael Giacchino most of the time these days um uh he he was there to be not like he he would make sure the music was was there because oftentimes when you're putting these things together the music is low, but it's like, they don't have any objection to it being higher. They're just not thinking about it sometimes. Cause they're just managing so many different things. Like, Hey, you can bump the music up here. It's like, Oh sure. And, and he really made sure that like the, like the seeing it now, I really appreciate the mix for fringe uh, because it's, it's the music is prominent in a way. I'm like, wow, that doesn't really happen with every show. A lot of times the music just sort of sometimes is there but it's pushed so far into the background. It might as well not be there. Um, and, and that's not always good. I feel like now that we're having these huge budget shows, they're paying a lot more attention. So I, I don't think that's a, a really an, as much of an issue any anymore, but certainly in, in Fringe's era, there was, it was a lot of times where music was just like buried just because it was just almost forgotten sometimes. And I'm not trying to say that the fringe music was forgotten. It was like, they did a great job, but Paul like made sure it was just, you know, he made sure he made sure like when he made sure anytime it was going to get lost, he made sure that, oh, hey, you know, and he was there making sure that the music was heard and also to be the buffer of like what when when we're discussing changes that they needed. And he was he was so great at translating what they really meant when they said they wanted something changed about the music. Mm. You know, sometimes it's it's always music is such this abstract thing. It's so difficult to to articulate what you want the music to do uh, because you know not everyone it's almost worse if they speak the language of the music because then they because like what we really want to hear is what is the music not make it not doing for you right now like how it's it's not making you feel how is it making you feel and, and what do you what do you actually want it to make you feel is like a more appropriate question but like he was great at translating like it's just not doing this thing and paul could say what they really want they just want a little ticky ticky percussion thing here and that's it it's like that'll solve it <laughs> so i just go do, 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 do. uh sorry i just hit the mic uh i just go do, 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 you know and a little, for eight bars i give it to paul and it's like perfect that's great <laughs> uh,
2: i mean can you can you rewatch it and be emotionally invested in in the show or do you just find yourself being critical of of
3: Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, mostly invested. It's, I, I like, I mean, I like doing that anyway, because I like to just try to not overanalyze what I'm watching and just get involved in it because it's more fun that way, even, you know, good or bad. uh, It's, it's fun, but also just everybody's really good. The performances are great. Um, It's just, it's a, it's cool. It's cool to see it again. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is, it is, I do get involved in them, uh, even though I do remember where, you know, it's all going. Uh, there's a lot of little things that I, that I don't remember necessarily, mm. especially scenes that didn't have music mm. because, you know, um, I'm not spending a lot of time watching those over and over again. Um, when I'm making the show, obviously those, those watching them it, is important. It's just like, I'm not creating music there. So I'm not just going over the scene over and over again as I'm writing.
2: Have you got any favorite episodes or favorite moments that you have up to the point where you've, where you've watched so far?
3: Yeah. That Jacksonville and Peter, yeah. those two episodes are really, really good. Um, Jacksonville, especially like I, and I remember, and I'm, 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 I'm also pulling up like the spotting notes at the same time, (laughs) uh, which is basically um, Paul, the music editor will, will mark down the start times when we have agreed music should start the name, number of the queue and he'll have some funny name. Uh, But then also there's little descriptions. Tanya wants, feels like the temp is too much. This here, this is not working or, or so so make sure you hit this moment or this, this and that. Um, uh, things like that. So it's fun to just sort of see those notes. And also uh, there'll be a separate folder. Like there'll be a folder of my original masters and there'll be a folder of the edits that were made, you know, the dub things we fixed and things like that or changed. Um, so, so I was looking at specifically the Jacksonville ones and there was a lot of, um, and it was, it was the right call. And I feel like maybe I was just too young at the time, but there's the scenes with Olivia is like thinking about her traumatic past, and it's like uh, I went—I think I went too sad and not enough like trauma, and so there was these little hints of other discordant elements that would come in occasionally, and that that Paul would grab from a few things here that elsewhere in the episode, and then he pitched down a cup, not all the instances, like the the forest cue was like. Uh, was unchanged but like there was a few scenes before that where she's looking at the classrooms and you can tell she's thinking about her trying to remember what happened here Um, and and like and so he like pitched down the violin that I re- it was already a weirdly treated violin but he like pitched it down even further so it was in the cello range but it was a pitched down violin and it was like kind of a really cool sound I was like oh I wouldn't have thought of that so he did a lot of really cool things on that episode specifically, that I think came out really well. Oh, I see. Now I'm going to have to go and watch that tonight just
2: to, just to listen to, to what you've just been talking about. It was really interesting. Yeah.
3: So like before, before she goes into the forest and all that stuff, when she, when they first arrive yeah. and they're uh, at the, at the abandoned nursery and are looking or going into the various rooms and we're learning all of the terrible things Walter did.
2: Mm, yeah. God, it just gets a, uh... It gets a bit even more traumatic in season three when we when we start flashing back to when Olivia was young. Yeah. Okay, I think that's all the questions I've got for you about Fringe. Is there any is, is, is there anything that you just want to tell me about your general experience and and uh, how those how those five years were for you in a kind of general overview?
3: In the moment, they were super busy. Um, I I was having a lot of fun and it was exciting, but it was all it was all very busy. Um, and it wasn't probably until years later where I was like, wow, that was, um, I, you don't really get to be a part of those things that, uh, a bunch of people watched and, uh, you know, it wasn't like lost popularity, but it was like, certainly one of the most prominent things I've worked on. And it was like, that's the, that's, you, you appreciate it more in hindsight, I think, than when you're in the moment, you're just, you're just trying to stay of water and just make and make it happen especially i was actually co-composer on two other short-lived bad robot series at that time too and i do, kind of don't want to ever do that again i know there are other composers who will take on multiple projects but also have people who help lighten the load and i'm i'm just not really interested in that i like kind of writing everything
2: and i mean have you got any kind of new and exciting projects in the pipeline that, that you are allowed to tell us about
3: Yes, uh the, there's a so there's this robot called Moxie. It is a it is a robotic companion for younger children for social development and it was made by a, a company called Embodied and I got involved with them. From uh, Craig Allen, who was in video game development and actually worked with Michael Giacchino on at uh, for a few games at Spark Unlimited. I don't know if you remember that company, uh, but they 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 helped develop sort of the first call, uh, console Call of Duty game. Uh-huh, yeah. and, and it was a it was a bunch of former um, EA people that worked on the original Medal of Honor games and stuff like that. So uh, he he contacted me and, and asked me if I wanted to write music for this for this robot and because it was going to be an interactive robot that would like uh, they would tell, st- it has like a, sc- it you know, almost imagine imagine like a, like a Pixar, like, like Eve almost. But um, uh, instead of just eyes on the screen, it's got an animated face, but can also show other things because it's a screen. So there's like interactive stories. There's, uh, missions and tasks and stuff, and so there's it, it. It really is more like kind of writing music for a video game, yeah. Because it was a lot of you know loops and endings, and uh, um, one of the coolest things is we made all all this sort of reading music, where um, mock you can read a, a a book like like a Dr. Seuss book, um, uh, Oh the Places You'll Go, for example, and it'll through speech recognition it'll realize what you are reading or you can even tell it what you're going to read and it will queue up music that I've written that goes at various points in that story. And will like actually be like an interactive score that kind of follows along while you're reading it. Um, And, and and doing all sorts of other things. So we're, we're working on a set like the it's, it's, it is released, but it's like in that sort of very expensive uh, it's like $1,600 and kind of thing. and, and, for more specific uses but you know i think they're they're trying to make it uh, as they add things and and we're working on a soundtrack uh release so that will be out hopefully people will be able to just sort of search whatever my name and that should come up or search for moxie and that should come up but we'll we'll see if we can make you know a little bit of a splash with the soundtrack so people know it's out there but uh we're working on that i that's you know next few months or so. I'm not sure that there might be a marketing push in September for something. So you never know how these things will go. Uh, so, I, so I don't want to say definitively, but we're working on a soundtrack. So that'll be something I wrote that I've worked, spent like two years on, you know, here and there. Um, And we recorded it at Abbey road, like sort of in between dips of the pandemic, I guess uh, uh, remote uh, remotely. I wasn't there and they had very limited, like it was a, a chamber or orchestra, um, but it sounds very big cause it's like one of every instrument of the orchestra. Um, something we talked about of like, you know, highlighting different instruments in the orchestra, almost like an, almost in an educational sense, but I, not really. Um, it's still just music, but, uh, everybody is, gets, gets featured at some point in the score. Um, but it was cool. I didn't get to go. I just got to watch it on a screen, but it was cool to record an Abbey road. I've never done that before. Um, and that was kind of the main thing I worked on. I also just have done just some video game prototyping with some friends. Uh, I, some of you might know I after Fringe, I got uh, some friends together and created a company called Exploding Tuba, and we made a video game called Divide, and that came out in 2017. So we've all, everybody's kind of moved on to other projects and contracting work and things like that, but we still get together and make Try out prototypes of things. Try out stuff. Uh, maybe something, something will get made one day. We'll see. Cool. That sounds. I mean,
2: that that, that um, the Moxie thing sounds absolutely fascinating. Project to work on.
3: Yeah, it's a really neat thing, hmm. and so and it's will be sort of this ongoing thing. So I'm still like writing more music for it. You know, throughout this year, just here and there. So it'll be interesting to see where it all goes.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so before we get to some listeners' questions, there's a uh, a kind of fun question I like to I like to ask all my interviewees. So if you could have a celebrity dinner party with six chairs, who would you want to invite?
3: Um, is this like a kind of thing where they have to be like living currently, or they can be living or
2: or past? Uh,
3: I feel like I feel like if I'm just, I might just go with living because. That's cool. Past ones is past ones just it's just you could just pick anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <Can't hear. laughs> um you know, I mean, I don't know. Is this is this like a selfish I'm like I'm gonna get some people where I can just learn a bunch of stuff from that I might not be able to otherwise learn from? Like what is what what is the premise?
2: You can be as selfish as you like. Selfish and self indulgent as you like with your choices.
3: I mean if it's I mean no one else is going to be privy to the conversation other than the people there right? Oh, yeah definitely. Like it's not going to be live streamed. No no, no. So it's all in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> I mean the the thing is like the the people that that are great conversations they're on TV on talk shows all the time and I like I feel like I heard like Tom Hanks sounds amazing to hang out with. Mm, yeah. And I p- might just pick him anyway. But I've seen him on so many like long form intimate talk shows uh, so many times that I've, I felt like I've already done that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, cause then what am I going to do? How, am I going to say anything um, or am I just going to listen to all these interest, more interesting people talk really? So uh, the, the thing is it's harder now because there are so many, you know, talk shows and live streams that a lot of celebrities have appeared on to just talk Extreme. more. The, it's just like, I feel like, more so much of that is already available like who would i pick it's got to be people who don't sit down and talk much like it's gonna okay this will be self-indulgent now i this, i can't do it. i was gonna say jj abrams because i haven't actually seen him and talked to him so many years. <laughs> good choice um, good choice um uh man you know oh, you know what uh i would i would uh Lily and Lana Wachowski, I, both of them, mm. I would love to sit with them because they don't. Um, I, I got to meet them very briefly uh, on Speed Racer. Michael did the music for that night. I did some orchestration. I was, they were at the sessions some of the time. Super nice, amazing, chill. The most chill, just like cool people ever. Uh, it's, I just, I would love to. I, but I've never ever had, had been able to like talk to them over. I have because the Matrix movies are some of my favorite movies all the time, mm. as well as the scores to them. And I would just love to talk to them. Can I just pick them? Can I just pick Lily and Lana Wachowski? Of course you else. can. Of course you can. Show high. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'd almost rather like. I would be fearful of putting out to a bunch of people. I would almost want to selfishly just like just you two then just you and then just you separately <laughs> <laughs> Not all. Not all at once. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 the chances of me putting in filmmakers are very high just because, you know, I'm in this industry and I want to learn as much about filmmaking and storytelling as I can, because I not only enjoy it, but it also makes me better at my job. Like the, the, the more, the more I can get into the heads of what the directors and writers and everybody and actors are thinking, like uh, particularly the directors and editor, you know, the more I can, the better I can do my job and, and, and really dial into what they're thinking. So I'm probably going to like pick people like that, you know, uh, gosh, don't mean who else? Let's see. Uh, I would probably pick Christopher Nolan. Oh, good some choice. Some people might be annoyed at my decision. Not me. <laughs> I feel like his movies are often polarizing. So I have groups of friends that love him and hate him. Yeah. You know, kind of things like that. Um, I, I myself uh, very much enjoy Christopher Nolan movies. Let's see. I'm trying not to pick, like. Say goodbye dumb things like who i had a crush on when i was in high school <laughs> or something um let's let's see i'll try i'll try and do like i don't know if i'm gonna get to six but i'm trying to just think well, you need i mean if you if you if you're keeping some hanks uh,
2: okay yeah and then you've got sure. and then you've got the kasky both the wachowskis that's three uh, who was your other one
3: well i said jj you, you said jj right. so that's and chris and then christopher Nolan. that's four five if we, if we count all those that's five yeah so let's say all right christian slater Ooh. oh i like that any any reason he's in he's in pump up the volume which is one of my favorite movies it's a 1990 uh complete box office flop about a but it was about this high school kid who's moved to the small town and just kind of has a pirate radio and then he finds out people are listening to him. And then he has this crazy show and then it becomes controversial in the town and exposes corruption at the school. It's a, it's a fun thing, but all, a whole bunch of monologues, um, by Christian Slater. He's really good. Uh, it's good, 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 uh, good, good soundtrack in the form of songs chosen, things like that. Uh, Leonard Cohen, every, uh, everybody knows is like his theme song for his show. Mm. Um, and then he comes back and is in Mr. Robot. Yes. And the creator of the show, I even asked him on Twitter. I was like, I love pump up the volume. He's like me too. And I'm like, he obviously chose Christian Slater cause he also loves pump up volume. So then I could talk about two, two things I really like. I really like Mr. Robot. And I really like pump up the volume. Cool. And, and I, and, and I guess I should, you know, maybe it would have made sense to say, Sam Ismail who created Mr. Robot, but I don't know it's good to have an actress perspective in there maybe yeah yeah
2: definitely (laughs) i'm i'm literally just watching alias for the first time ever i've I've never seen it before um so i was i was pleasantly surprised to have christian slater have some guest spots in a couple of episodes there so oh yeah i remember that Mm.
3: that was definitely where he was not doing as much kind of you know actors sometimes have those i mean i think most actors you know people in this business have up times times and it was it was cool to see him then because he wasn't in a lot of stuff at that time. Mm, definitely. Um, okay, I've got a few listeners' questions. If you're if you're happy to
2: ask, answer them, yeah, let's go. Cool. Um, so, first question is from Pavla Hezrelova. She's one of our listeners from the Czech Republic.
3: It sounds familiar. I feel like uh, either on Twitter or other social media. Probably on Twitter,
2: I would imagine. Yeah, she's 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 quite the fringe fan. She's a, she's
3: one of our uh, one of our avid listeners. <laughs> Yeah, yes. One uh, probably frequently helps out and retweets uh, Fringe Fridays, yeah. which I assume we'll also talk about. Oh, oh, yes, definitely.
2: So Pavla asks, how long does it take to score an episode of Fringe from writing the sheet music to having it recorded?
3: Um, What's well, usually how much time they give me, which <laughs> on average tended to be like about three to four days. Sometimes five, you know, three to, let's say three to five days, okay. you know, which was five, five was less frequently. So, I mean, so, and that includes kind of includes the recording session day. So, so very short time. <laughs> very short time. Uh, and there, yeah. I think it did. There, we did settle into like more like in the mid to upper 20, 20 minutes, uh, a number of minutes. But for sometimes it was like 35 minutes and, that's a lot. Mm. So you have to like, you know, pick your battles of which cues you want to spend more time on. Um but yeah, it was let's just say three to five days it was about the time I had, probably it was good, you know probably four days this is a good average. There was uh, the finale only had three three days 'cause uh, uh and when I say finale I mean like this the, the the second part, the last episode, because it's like we finished the first one and it's like, okay, we start dubbing the next one in, in a few days. So wow. it's like I just had to Roll right into it, just sorry, just carry the momentum on. Yeah, done.
2: How about that one went right, right down to the knuckle, didn't it?
3: Yep, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like you're sending uh, cues uh, at you know late at night, and the copyists are going in early in the morning to print the music before the session starts. <laughs> uh, that that's that's actually a very frequent occurrence at this, yeah. in this industry. <laughs> so I, imag- I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, certainly on big things that have a lot of stuff and everything, when it comes down, you know, is on fire. Though, though I have to say, Michael is uh very good about avoiding that. that. Uh, is his he he likes to schedule things where he schedules his time very well and yeah. makes the session like weeks after he's done writing. So there's plenty of time and to to do it, which is good because it means it means you aren't like just bringing in all sorts of other people who don't know the score. And are just trying to get it done, you know. When I say other people, I mean like orchestrators. Oftentimes, it's like, all right, all these cues are done, but there's the, there's the guy's that got to go through orchestrator before it gets to printed music. So when you just when you're having all these things, especially when it's just like a ten minute, you know, five minute action cue, it's just a lot of notes. <laughs> Mostly, <laughs> it's a, a lot of that time. It's a lot about you know, dotting ts, cr- crossing the ts, dotting the eyes. Yeah. You know, making sure everything's. Good, playable, page turns, all that stuff. There's a lot. There's a lot of technical work goes in orchestration as well. So,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Teddy Black, who is our uh, network chief, he
2: asks, "Have you revisited Black lately? Which you compose alongside Michael Giacchino? It's a marvelous piece of work, particularly for the video game genre. Was this a formative influence on your music for Fringe in any way? Especially given the Giacchino connection."
3: Um. I mean, I haven't gone back that recently other than I may have put like the main theme on a real <laughs> demo reel in the past couple of years. years. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a really fun score, too. That was another one of those things that were where we had one day to record all the music. It was probably like 45 minutes and it just came down to the last minute. Um, wow. But, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, Michael Giacchino had a relationship with Steve Schnur, who's still had a music at EA and worked on the Medal of Honor games and all that stuff. And, you know, Michael was really busy and he would often propose, well, what if, like, I produce it or I co-write the main theme with Chris and he does the rest? And uh, I had done that. We had done that with Mercenaries um, and that worked out pretty well. So, it was kind of a similar thing though. I think I was, I was a little more on my own with the, with the main theme for black. I, I sort of took the lead on it and then Michael would, you know, give some few little notes here and there and things like that. And wrote a little, how about something like this, you know, kind of thing. Um, uh, but it was, it was fun to work on. I was always remember. I always re- remember wanting there to be a sequel, but it just never happened. So seems like one of those just one and dones. On, um, but, at least you can get it. You can get it on Xbox now, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, at least in the U.S. I don't know. I don't want to say for internationally. It's, sometimes those stores are, are different, but um, yeah, it's th- kind of cool th- that you could still that you could go to that you can actually purchase an original Xbox game on the on the newest Xbox and play it.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you can download it onto the newer Xbox um, from the store. So I'm yeah. I'm, I'm pretty oh, sure you it can. Is. I
3: bought it. I was like, oh, this is cool. Little, cool. So I, I guess I did play, like, the first level a little bit, but there's no music in that. All right.
2: <laughs> I can't believe you are only given a day to do all that music because it, it, no, it sounds well, fantastic. No, record it,
3: not, not write it. Sorry. All oh, right, had it. Time yeah. to write. Uh, it was just record. Oh, that's uh, it good, was, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, uh, we worked on the main theme first, and then once every, they were happy with that, we just sort of moved on to everything else. Uh, as far as influence to Fringe, um, I would say no, other than it must just be things stylistic things I must like to do that you're picking up on.
2: Um, And lastly, Caleb Burnett, who is one of our regular guests, uh, he asked what it was like working with Giacchino on the pilot and, um, and the other times that you've worked with him. What's he like to work with?
3: Are you talking about the pilot of Fringe? Cause I didn't didn't work on the pilot of Fringe. I actually didn't since uh, I didn't come in until, until that 11th episode. So I didn't, I didn't have any involvement at all with the pilot of Fringe. So It's like I was, when I came on board, I was kind of playing catch up. I had, I had seen an episode here and there, but I had not, uh, I, I had not, I was not caught up at the time when I, so I I had not, I, I didn't, wasn't involved in the pilot. Oh, okay. So, I mean,
2: in, in, in terms of your partnership with Giacchino then, I mean, other than Black, him being a kind of advisor to you, was there any other projects that you two worked together on?
3: Um, in, in a collaborative capacity, like not, uh, no, it's, it's usually like, he'll just ask me, it's like something that seems up my alley. He'll like, Hey, do you want to orchestrate this? Do you want to arrange this? Like I, I, I basically did a, a sort of arra- a, a I did a queue on cars too, where there was a, an arrangement. He had like this theme that was sort of an Olympics sporting events type theme, and like, and it plays throughout the movie. And they're like, for this one, it's gotta be like a big John Williamsy sounding one version right. of it. Well, you, you want to do that? And I was like, sure. So I did that. Um, that was fun. I did. And like uh, the, the, um, his two bad guy themes for Rogue One, a Star Wars movie he did. He uh-huh, said, uh-huh. hey, do you want to make an arrangement of like a suite of this? And so he basically just gave me his, two like piano sketches of, of those two themes. And then I just sort of come, uh, made a suite that utilizes both of them. Um, so it's like things like that, that I'll do occasionally. Cool. Excellent. Uh,
2: that's it for listeners questions then. So Chris, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast today and chatting with us ab- ab- about fringe and your, uh, music career. Thank you. Would you like to put out there your, social media stuff you can talk about your fringe friday um and where people where people can find you on
3: the internet uh yes i'm on twitter most of all is the easiest place to just sort of reach me Uh, my dms are open since i'm not crazy famous or anything so i can do that (laughs) um (laughs) And you can at me if you want, ask me a question or whatever, but uh, it my it's just my name at Chris Tilton, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-L-T-O-N. Uh, and every Friday I've been doing Fringe Fridays, which some of you may remember was uh, the show moved to Friday and the Fringe Friday was a way to just for the fans to help promote the show and spread awareness to make sure that it got okay, enough ratings to stay alive, you know, <laughs> um, And so I just sort of brought it back as, uh, and I and and I was doing this at a time. I would put up like a more incidental cue from the show that was like not likely to be on a soundtrack or something. That was Mm. just then I would just put it up and uh, just as sort of my participation as French Friday. So I brought that back, uh, gosh, only a year and a half ago, Um, and I've just been putting up cues that were just not on the soundtracks because you know most of the most of the big important stuff was on those, but you know, there's, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't include, including like, Oh, well this was a really cool cue for this episode or something. And it was neat. So I was like, so I started just putting those up. And so I put up a new one each Friday. I have a, I link to it on my Twitter. Um, but it's Chris Tilton.com forward slash fringe dash Friday is where it lies and it's basically just a one cue that you just hit the play button on and it's streaming only. And I just put one up there at a time I swap them out every week. I've been every other week I've been putting up reruns for like older ones and that people may have missed. Um, but I just sort of been keeping that going. See no reason to stop now. So
2: cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it, it's great fun and I listen to it uh, pretty much every week. So if any of our listeners um aren't doing that at the minute, then I suggest you go and, uh, and uh, visit him on Twitter or on his website to get the fringe Friday for some, uh, some great music. Yeah,
3: and, and in fact, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of some putting up cues that are, around where i am in watching the show too sometimes because i'll watch it i'll be like oh that might be a good one to put up because before i was just kind of like trying to skim through cues didn't necessarily remember what they were some of them i remembered oh i remember there was something in that episode but sometimes i was just trying to skip them but watching them like i was like oh like i have to experience each cue anyway so uh i i've been sort of doing that and i think I'll, i'll probably put some other ones from jacksonville up since that's such a cool episode including maybe that cue that we were talking about earlier where the violin is pitched down a little bit and stuff
2: cool yeah that's a great idea doing it you know alongside your rewatch that's that, that's really cool yeah so uh that's it for observing the pattern this week um again thank you very much chris for joining us today it's been it's been a really really fascinating chat with you about uh about the process of the fringe the, the process of music for fringe
3: Sure. Yeah. I hope people have a little bit more insight in how all this stuff gets made, you know, sometimes from the outside, it just seems like magic, but, you know, it's just a lot of people, uh, doing hard work. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is just sort of, you learn a lot of it as you go a lot of the time and, you know, so demystify it because I don't I don't want people to be afraid to like, want to go into it. It's, if If you really want to do it and you want, and it's exciting to you, like you can, you can do it.
2: Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. Like hearing, like you, you know, you hear incidental music in in TV shows, and I don't think a lot of people really um, st- stop to think about the the hard work and and all that stuff that goes into it. So it's it's been really really fascinating hearing your side of the story with that one. So we are back next week with Marionette and Rich Mayola will be joining me for that. Until then, folks, thank you very much for listening. Take care, and we shall see you next time. Over here.
1: Observing the Pattern was created by Andrew Brooker and Tony Black and is produced by Tony Black and Luke Winch for the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review to help more people find the show. You can find the podcast on Twitter at The OTP Podcast and on Facebook by typing in Observing the Pattern. You can also find We Made This on Facebook and on Twitter at We Made This Pod where you can find shows on film, TV, music and broader popular culture. Also check out our website pod.com. Thanks again for listening. Elsewhere on We Made This. Real Talk, the We Made This movie show. I watched Ravid Grannies on YouTube for free and it's got hundreds of thousands of watches and these are things that they've already made their profit from so these old films the Troma just stuck them all up and made some extra money off them and bravo because they weren't making money from these extortionate eBay sales but they made money from Mm. the free views on YouTube so Mm. I think that's ace I think bringing those ludicrous films to a new generation or indeed an old generation who don't want to pay insane amounts is nothing Mm. but a positive thing yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't know about that. We dig music.
0: I need to be very careful this month who I slag off. Um, in the 1968 episode, I slagged off Nick Kamen, and he died. Did you fucking <laughs> kill him? <laughs> yes.
1: I killed <laughs> Nick Cayman. <laughs> Did you kill him with your thirst just imagining him in that advert <laughs> your weird thirsty thoughts just finally did for him you, you <laughs> do realize tracy i've just recorded your confession and i'll be sending it to the authorities <laughs> 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 uh, yeah yeah try not to kill anyone tracy so, the time is now a millennium podcast but my whole world fell apart And all they could do, the whole universe, was to silently move on. A quote from author and poet Khadija Rupa. There's one thing about trauma that's especially cruel. It's not the physical and psychological scars you'll have to carry with you your entire life. And it's not the friendships or relationships that may end because of the emotional ramifications as a result of it. It's that life goes on. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.